Hi, I'm Sylvain Berthelot and you're listening to On One Condition, a podcast to raise awareness about health conditions by listening to people who live them every day. Today, my guest is Aaron Blocker and we're going to talk about hypophosphatasia. Hi, Aaron. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining us and thank you for sharing. I really appreciate it. Um, so as is uh, the usual way of starting this podcast, um, I ask you to tell me about a song that you really like or means something special for you. What song is it? Yeah, I chose Paramore, um, the only exception. So the only exception by Paramore. Why did you choose that song? That's um, so it's a song that my wife and I had our first dance to uh, at our wedding. And then it was um, the first like concert that we went to together was to see Paramore. So oh, amazing. Yeah, it means a lot. Yeah, I guess uh, I get why. Um, so today we're talking about a condition that affects you, which is hypophosphatasia. Uh, and as I understand it, it's a rare condition or a disease. Um, how, first of all, how did you realize that uh, you have hypophosphatasia? Yeah, so I was, um, you know, I was born with some uh, skeletal abnormalities. Hypophosphatasia is a genetic bone disease. Um, I was born with some skeletal abnormalities, but I was not diagnosed until I was 25 years old. Um, I had broken a lot of bones and had these skeletal abnormalities and uh, some other things, had some major surgeries prior to my diagnosis. Um, just part of it being so, so rare, nobody knew really what to look for uh, or that something was very wrong. Uh, but when I was part of what led to my diagnosis of the disease was my own uh, research into my health. I had hip replacements when I was 20 years old and then when okay. I was 24, um, I had those hip replacements redone because they failed um, and I felt like something was wrong uh, that, you know, that they weren't really being addressed. Uh, so I went through some of my own medical records and kind of a long story short is came up with a potential diagnosis and then shared it with my physicians. And after a few months, genetic testing confirmed that I had hyperphosphatasia. Wow. Okay. And 25 years to get a diagnosis is a long time. Uh, and I, I hear about long diagnosis actually a lot, unfortunately. Uh, but I, I guess in your situation with a rare disease, it must be difficult for physicians to pinpoint it. Do you agree? Yeah, it was it was definitely very challenging. And even when, you know, I received the diagnosis, the physicians that I saw, um, you know, were very upfront with me telling me that they weren't, you know, familiar with the disease and hadn't necessarily really heard of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I get that a lot. I get that comment a lot about that where the physicians are talk about that they just don't hear of it, heard of it and just don't know what to look for. Uh, so that is part of what you know, it took so long to get a diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you talked about hip replacement at 20, which 
if I'm not wrong, is very young to have a, a hip replacement. Why did you have to have a hip replacement? So I had developed a condition uh, called avascular necrosis or osteonecrosis uh, of the hips bilaterally. So the blood supply was shut off to um, the hip joint, the bone. Um, so okay. that's where the necrosis comes in as the bone starts dying because there's no blood flow. Um, and eventually the bone, when you think of the hip as being a ball and a socket, the ball part uh, eventually collapses in on itself because the bone is necrotic. Um, and that's uh, what happened to me is that the hip started to collapse, which is very painful. Um, and the only thing to do at that point is to, to put in a hip replacement. And typically you don't see osteonecrosis in unless somebody has you know, been on, say, like a steroid treatment for a long time for an autoimmune disease, um, and I had not been on that. Um, sure, I'd taken steroids and stuff, but nothing that would have caused what that severe um, to what was happening. So when I was 20, the, my hip started to collapse, and the only thing to do at that point was to have a hip replacement. Wow, okay. Is that something that you... Uh were followed about and did your physicians start looking into it at that point or, or not? Yeah, I mean, I had, so, uh, you know, I live with, um, I do live with an autoimmune disease and the way that they caught my, the avascular necrosis was by accident. Um, it was an accidental find on a scan that I had of my lower abdomen. Um, so caught the top, the very top part of my hip bones. And I was actually 18 when I was diagnosed with avascular necrosis. Uh, so caught the very top part of my hip bones and they came to me and said, Hey, look, this is avascular necrosis. Um, never, I mean, they didn't think much of it in that regard. I do have an autoimmune disease. And again, steroid, I had a small amount of steroid use, um, at one point in my life. And they said, well, it could maybe be that, even though that didn't make sense uh, for that to occur. But they didn't really know what else to pinpoint it to. Um, we do know now that it's because of my rare genetic disease, but it never threw up, I guess, any severe red flags for, for them uh, to kind of thing. There was a potential explanation, even though it didn't make much sense, but it could have could have been an explanation. So... They kind of ran with it. Okay. And so how does hypophosphatasia affect you then? And how does it, like, what are the symptoms? So for me, I mean, you know, like I said previously, I, I was born with skeletal abnormalities. Um, I was born with severe bowed legs, uh, which is a sign of the disease. Uh, bowed legs as a baby that you're born with that don't correct. And um, I had a couple of other things like some minor scoliosis and, Throughout my childhood, uh, you know, as I grew and grew up, I broke a lot of bones. So hypophosphatasia causes weak bones. Um, you know, the body cannot, uh, it affects what's called alkaline phosphatase, which is an enzyme that's very important for bone health um, and, and bone structure. And so when you have hypophosphatasia, you don't make enough of that enzyme, which leads to very uh, weak bones. It's called the soft bone disease. And okay. I've broke more bones than I think I can remember at this point, but especially throughout up and throughout my childhood, especially as I became more active, uh, the more bones I broke, just active, I would fall or, uh, you know, just be a, 
a teenage boy and running around and tried to play sports. And so broke a lot of bones. It causes a lot of bone pain. Um, and then I also have a lot of issues with, you know, my muscles and tendons and actually some of the nerves. Um, so overall, so I've had 21 surgeries related to hypophosphatasia. And uh, I'll actually be having my 22nd surgery in a few weeks um, on my arm. So it's just very, it's affected my skeletal, my skeletal system. Um, it's affected my kidneys and uh, a lot of my muscles and tendons. So uh, the body's ability to, you know, like calcium, magnesium, phosphate, these um, things that are very important for, for bone health, they don't, they don't get into my bones like they should. So in addition to all of the weak bones, those, the calcium is a big thing that starts to deposit on, say, your organs. So it's been calcium deposits on my kidneys. I've had some calcium deposits on my tendons and then um, around the nerves in my arms as well. Um, so it's affected a multi, you know, multi-system and multi-layer of the bones, muscles, nerves, tissue. Wow. So, uh, yeah, uh, at first I thought it was just affecting the bones, but the, the calcium deposit must be uh, very painful as well, I imagine. Yes, especially when it gets like on your tendons and, and nerves. And I've had some nerve compression, um, which is part of some of the recent surgeries I've had due to some of the you know, deposits around the nerves and the tendons and everything. And are the surgeries addressing the, the bone issues only or also the, the calcium deposit? Yeah, I mean, there's so the I've had a couple of tendons that have torn, um, which is related to some of that calcium deposits and, and the weakness to of kind of the muscle and the bone. So uh, it has addressed that some of the calcium deposits as well. And, um, you know, and there are things that, you know, you tear a muscle, it gets tear muscle, tear tendon, have surgery to fix it. Um, but there's been a lot of related to that. So it does address the some of those deposits because they can go in and clean everything out. Wow. So I imagine that it was not what you wanted uh, growing up uh, as a child or, or a teenager. How did that affect you getting older and especially before before having a diagnosis? It was, I mean, yeah, it was very challenging. I can remember, you know, the disease can be very painful. I mean, when it affects your bones and muscles and tendons, and uh, I would have, you know, severe growing pains um, mm. to the point of where I couldn't, like, do a whole lot during those those times. And, you know, as an active, you know, teenager and as I kind of grew up in that, I wasn't able to be as active as I wanted to. I, we real, We did realize that I was you know, breaking more bones or um, there were things like that that I just kind of had to back away from, back away from sports and because I broke a shoulder playing sports and, you know, things of that nature. I mean, I think that it took, it took some stuff away from me, but without having diagnosis of the disease, I mean, you just kind of deal with it and it can be frustrating to you know, as a teenager, I didn't necessarily think that there was much wrong as a young teenager and child just because I didn't know any different and didn't know that, you know, that there was something wrong that maybe 
all this pain and the bones that are broken and, and things of that nature were something else. Uh, but it was challenging because there were definitely things that I had to kind of step away from um, as I got later into my teen years. And then especially when I was diagnosed with the, the avascular necrosis or the ischial necrosis on my hips, um, my mobility started to, to go downhill uh, related to that between, you know, 17 to 18 to 20, by the time my hips actually collapsed and I had to have hip replacements. Um, you know, my mobility had taken a hit uh, just because my, my bones and my hips were so bad. How bad was it in terms of mobility? Yeah, I had to, um, towards the end of, before having my hips replaced, uh, I was on crutches um, and kind of a walker for a little bit. And prior to that, and, um, you know, after I had broken my shoulder socket in half playing baseball as a teenager, I had to stop doing that and I stopped running and, uh, you know, I had my activity levels decreased a whole lot just because of the injuries that I kept sustaining and kind of the pain that came, came with that as well. And I had some surgeries related to that also, but the mobility related to my hips was, was pretty bad. Um, towards the end, you know, I was on crutches again and a walker for several months up leading up to surgery. Wow. That must be very hard. Um, so then you, you got the diagnosis. I think you said at 25, did that change anything for you having a diagnosis? I mean, I think that having a diagnosis in general, yes, for a hundred percent. I think that knowing what is going on with, with you and having a diagnosis and putting a name to it, uh, you know, is scary. Part of it's scary just because you, you get diagnosed with something that you've told is, you know, rare, very rare. Um, there is no cure for it. And, those are, there's aspects of it that are definitely were very scary at the time, but then to also know that the gut feeling that I had and thinking that something else was going on that wasn't being addressed and, and kind of the game, the mind games of playing with myself of, you know, maybe there is nothing, maybe it is just, maybe I'm just clumsy and maybe I just, you know, had a really bad, you know, response to a little bit of steroids I had used to treat an mm -hmm. autoimmune disease and, then to get the confirmation and to, you know, of that, yes, there actually is something else going on, something else that's serious, uh, something that, you know, is causing all of these things and these broken bones and the weak bones and hip replacements and all of that. There's a relief to it for sure to know. And I yeah. think too, you know, there's knowing what is causing all of that is I think knowledge is power. And I, so knowing is better than not knowing because then you have, at least some sort of path to, you know, whether or not, you know, there are a lot of rare diseases that don't have treatments, of course. Um, yeah. But even then knowing there are little things that you can know about the disease, things that maybe you're not supposed to do, like for hypophosphatasia, when you get osteoporosis, like I have, you're not supposed to take some medications related that treat osteoporosis because it can make the disease worse. Um, okay. And I actually was almost on a medication for osteoporosis before my diagnosis, because we didn't know what it was. Um, and come, once I was diagnosed and saw a physician who was familiar for the, the, with the disease who treats it a lot, um, she said, yeah, that would have been the worst thing that we could have done because it would have made your disease worse. Mm -hmm. So there are little things like that for sure that, uh, you know, having a diagnosis helps you avoid some of that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that there's 
power and I was glad in turn glad in a sense to have a name to what was going on because I knew something was wrong. I knew that there was more going on than just, you know, me being clumsy and having weak bones. Yeah. But I guess at the same time, you don't have a treatment. So it, it, has the diagnosis then changed anything in, in how you managed the, the disease? So hypophosphatasia does actually have a treatment. Um, okay. It has one treatment. It's an enzyme replacement. Um, and But it wasn't approved until I think maybe 2015. Um, and it's okay. only... It's only for certain types of the disease, so there are patients um, who um, are not on treatment uh, just because of how the what it's you know approved for and uh, all of that. Um, so I actually did get on treatment uh, in about a I think about a year and a half after I was diagnosed. Um, I got on the enzyme replacement therapy and um, the but I will say part of what changed too is so. I, where I live, there was nobody that's familiar enough with my disease to treat it, and they were honest with me about that. Oh, okay. um, I saw a geneticist when I came up with kind of potential for it being hypophosphatasia and talked to my primary care and then went to geneticist and got the diagnosis. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they were upfront with me and said that they had not seen it. So I actually travel um, out of state twice a year uh, to, so here in the U.S., so out of state twice a year to see a physician um, who specializes in this disease and treating this disease. Um, so I'm not treated locally. Um, and I think that that's obviously been a huge, was a huge game changer for me and, and just in general, you mm-hmm. know, having somebody who's seen a good bit of patients with this disease and, and treats it pretty much daily makes a huge difference just in general. Even if I wasn't on treatment for it, I think that um, there's been a huge benefit to that. Um, and then, of course, you know, I have been on treatment for for the disease, which has helped. Um, but, you know, there's still not a cure and there's still obviously still things that I deal with. I've had having surgeries. And I think part of that is there was a lot of damage that was done to my body and my skeleton and all of that prior to being diagnosed. That is just um, irreversible. Okay. So, you know, I've had I will have had, I think. I've already had seven surgeries in the last three years. And like I said, I'm having surgery in a couple of weeks. So that'll be my eighth surgery in the last three years. So there are just things that, you know, ha- that my body took a hit that, you know, it's like the hips and all of that. I mean, all of that stuff happened pre-diagnosis and pre-treatment. Uh, so it's just things that we still kind of deal with. Wow. Okay. And it, Yeah. <laughs> That's why I assumed that there wasn't a treatment because you still have to go through surgery. But now I understand that, yeah, your body has suffered over 25 years before you could have access to a treatment. Uh, So do do you know or do you think it would have had, it would have avoided like some surgeries if you'd had access to the treatment earlier? I mean, I think that, there's a possibility, you know, sure. Um, I think part of it, one thing is that I like that I think about is that, you know, it was, I was 18 when I was told my hips were going bad and I was 20 when, uh, you know, I had my hip, hips replaced and all mm-hmm. of that happened, um, you know, in like 2009 and 2012. And there wasn't a treatment for the disease back then. So I don't think that it necessarily would have changed much um, for part of that. Um, I think that 
you know, there were, I, like I said, I do have an autoimmune disease that has to be treated. And I think that they're probably part of that, a little bit of steroid use and stuff that it did have was definitely not good for my disease and yeah. stuff like that. Um, but that's also something that I needed to treat and have treated. And, and I think that it still would have contributed to some of the disease progression. Um, wow. So honestly, it's hard to say. I don't know if mm-hmm. it would have changed a whole lot. There's probably a couple of things I'm sure that it would have definitely helped and been beneficial for. But a lot of the stuff that happened to me was prior to even a treatment being av- widely available in the market. Um, so it's very hard to say. I think that it's been beneficial for sure for me to be on it. Um, but again, it was a very long time. You know, it would have been. I think five or six years after the majority of some of the like osteoporosis diagnosis and the hip replacements and all of that before anything was available for me to even be on. Um, so I don't, it's hard to say. And honestly, I do my best. I feel like you get in a weird mindset if you think like that, you know, too much. So I think that earlier diagnosis is key a hundred percent. And I think that there are a lot of things that you can kind of, that you can do and address and help with. Um, but I also try not to go down the rabbit hole of, you know, what if, you know, what, you know, this is, this disease is part of me and the stuff that I've been through has been very challenging and, you know, it can be pretty terrible, but I try not to think about, you know, what if my physicians would have called it sooner? What would that be like? You know, what would it, what would it have been like to, to, you know, avoid some of that? And I think a lot of it, there are things that couldn't have been avoided. Um, but again, I think that any earlier diagnosis is a hundred percent beneficial in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, and so you, you, your diagnosis, you said that it came through uh, a genetic test, if I'm not wrong. Yes. Um, so is it something that's transmissible to, to your children? Yes, it is. So um, it's, I think the, Mine is autosomal, I think, dominant. So it's like a 50-50 chance that it's passed on to any um, children that you have. Okay. And is it something that you have? So how how do you feel about? Yeah, I mean, that was was tough. Um, You know, we – I do have children, um, and we had our – first child so it was weird so I had gotten diagnosed um, and then we literally had just found out like right in between all of that um, that we were expecting our first kid so we didn't know about the disease it kind of happened all at one time I mean the first time that I saw the specialist that I see now out of state um, my wife was like seven weeks pregnant so it all just kind of happened at one time. So, I mean, we didn't, it wasn't anything that we thought about at that point. I mean, it's definitely challenging to, you know, nobody wants their kids to be sick. Uh, and to, so to know that there was a possibility of passing that on and a, a mm-hmm. sort of a, literally a 50-50 shot of passing it on um, was definitely tough to kind of hear and cope with. And, but I mean, again, it had happened so like very like almost at the same time 
within yeah. like eight weeks of each other of me getting diagnosed and us finding out that we were expecting our first kid. So at that point, we just try not to think about it um, and and sort of try to let it, you know, because finding out you're having a kid and all of that's exciting, especially, you know, when you're expecting and kind mm-hmm. of we wanted to try to enjoy it rather yeah. than so, you know, sulk and, and what we just found out. But it was challenging. It was a tough conversation to have. And it was a conversation that we had with my specialist that I see and um, kind of extra things that we've had to do, such as, you know, a little extra monitoring of the pregnancy and my son. And um, so, yeah, it was very challenging. It's the challenging thing to hear and to know and to think about uh, just because again it's you ne- you never want your kid to be sick I mean that's just part I think nobody wants their kid to be sick so to know that there was definitely a possibility was challenging yeah yeah I understand um, and so you've um, you, you're sharing a lot about uh, your condition Um what has made you want to to share and, and to become a, an advocate? I think that part of it is, I mean, honestly, living with a disease that's so rare, there are not a lot of people out there um, to kind of talk with or, you know, to have, to be able to ask questions to. And I know that there's, one thing is that there's benefit in that. I think benefit and knowing that you're not alone and that there's somebody else that is going through what you're going through and just mm-hmm. to hear that and see that, um, I think is very beneficial. Uh, other part of that is that I don't want people to have to wait as long as I did to get a diagnosis. And I think that sharing, I think that sharing my story and being open and honest and, and talking about it, I think could potentially help somebody else maybe down the road. And um, not only that is I've had the ability to, you know, help. I've talked to physicians and medical students and people who are not as familiar with, not really familiar with the disease at all um, to share my story with them so that hopefully in their practice and then as they begin to practice medicine, that if something like this comes up, that they don't brush it off and that maybe they'll think back to the conversation they had with me like oh maybe okay well maybe it's this and so I think that there's you know power in sharing a story and it's helpful not just for yourself but potentially for the community of patients and then maybe getting somebody else a, a diagnosis sooner than what it took me I mean it took me 25 years to get get a diagnosis and I don't think that it should have taken that long um, and so given how rare it is, I I do understand part of that, but part of this disease too is that I mentioned earlier that alkaline phosphatase is the enzyme that's affected Mm -hmm. that, that level you, if you've ever had what we call like a comprehensive metabolic panel, which is a pretty common blood test, your alkaline phosphatase level shows up on that. Um, Okay. So it had shown up on mine a long time ago. So I think that, there's an educational uh, part of, you know, something that's missing when it comes to being educated about alkaline phosphatase and how low it is. And I think that is what contributed partially to me not getting a diagnosis. So sharing my story and sharing that, and I think helps others and it helps me 
Um, but you know, I don't want anybody else to go through what I've gone through. And I think sharing my story can help with that. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, especially if, if there's a, an, an easy way in a way to, to identify it, yeah, at least um, yeah. throw up a red flag, you know, yeah. to, to warrant potentially more testing. Yeah, definitely. Um, so going in that direction, then what signs would you recommend to look for then if like, if you're a parent and, and your child has certain symptoms, what would those symptoms be? What would prompt a parent to get their child checked? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it can be tough. And I mean, there are obviously some forms of the, the disease that are a lot more severe. Um, there's certain, you know, infantile forms that are um, still lethal um, today where that's still, um, you know, that infants and, and babies still unfortunately pass away from it. But I think that, you know, if for me, like looking back at my, I mean, I broke a lot of bones and complained a lot about bone pain growing up and probably more than more something that would warrant potential further investigation. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, there's the bone fractures and the pain and, Sure, you know, I think that, you know, children, I mean, again, you know, I have kids and I know that growing pains are there and, you know, there are things where, you know, sometimes their their body aches and their, their bones hurt just because they're sick and dealing with other things. But I think if there's um, consistent, you know, like bone pain and if you notice like they're breaking a lot of bones, I mean, those are obviously telltale signs that something else may be going on. Um, and yeah, it can be very challenging, I think. I think that it's can be more prominent things to notice in maybe like a kind of a juvenile. Typically, I mean, if you're born with a more severe form of this disease um, that can potentially be lethal, oftentimes there are pretty severe skeletal abnormalities that you will see and notice oh, okay. um, yeah. that would probably trigger something, maybe not hypophosphatasia, but something else, something that's going on. Um, so I think that you know, part of it is just trusting kind of your gut on it. And if that, if there's something, especially tons of skeletal pain, bone pain and fractures, I mean, those are things that definitely warrant something, something else. I think, you know, and again, you know, the alkaline phosphatase is something that is tested. I mean, most people have had that comprehensive metabolic panel done um, at some point, typically more than once. Um, and for me, that's kind of what triggered my kind of sort of, I guess, investigation into my medical records was that was the one thing that always stood out was that I was severely low, um, and never brought up. So yeah, it's, I think that you kind of have to, like I did trust my gut and knowing that I felt like something else was wrong, but there are definitely, there's not always a telltale sign, um, unless it's some of that more severe part aspect of the severe form of the disease um but again i mean i i was told i had osteoporosis and my hips were going bad at 18 i think that that should have been a sign um you know and then when i had hip replacements and all of that i think those are things that should have prompted further you know investigations of what was going yeah. on yeah well i guess it's difficult when you're talking to experts so like you consider physicians as experts in 
in their field, um, uh, you, you kind of have to, in a way, tell them that you don't trust that they've given you the right diagnosis, which is difficult when you don't know medicine yourself. Right. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I imagine that it's, it's a difficult position. Yeah, it's, you know, I think that it you have to kind of approach it in a way that doesn't make, you know, I was lucky to have a physician who was very open and honest with me and, and welcome to any kind of commentary that I had. But I think that you have to, you know, you have to approach it in a way that is conversational and that, you know, you, obviously you, I think any good physician will listen to their patient, um, yeah. you know, and not, you know, just, you know, just say, oh, no, you know, that's not it and not do anything with it. Um, I think that being mm -hmm. able to have an open and honest conversation with your physician is crucial to, you know, having good health and getting what you need done. Um, and yeah, it's, it's hard when you, it can be very daunting to go up to your physician and say, Hey, I think that something else is going on that may be missed, you know, and like, Hey, I think that, I mean, and I came in to my physician with, after a few months of stuff, I brought him some research and a couple of things that had talked about hypophosphatase and just handed it to him um, yeah. and said, hey, look, I think this may be it. And he was a, a wonderful physician and genuinely took it into concern and, act, and referred me out to get genetic testing. Um, so, But it's very daunting, and I, I don't think that one of the hard things about rare disease is the rarity of it and nobody knowing you know, not nobody, but very few people knowing what it is. Uh, so to have to do the research yourself and be very involved in your care like that can be very challenging. I think that's also part of part of what takes a long to get a diagnosis is that if your physician doesn't really know and then you don't really know, who knows to, to test for something, you know? So I think that there's so much... There's, a, I think, you know, a lot of work to be done, um, but it can be very challenging and daunting and nerve-wracking to go to your physician and be like, hey, I think yeah. that, I think that this is going on. Like, I may be wrong, but this is what I found. Yeah, and that's where people like you who like take the time to share and and advocate for conditions like this is is very important because it can only help. Uh, raising awareness. Um, so going back to like how it affects you, so do you have to be especially careful with what you do then, uh, so that you don't like break a bone, or how does it affect your your mobility? Yeah, I mean, I you know there are definitely things that I don't do anymore. I mean, I'm not um, obviously I'm old now older now i'm not playing sports or anything like that but the other things that i can't do like i can't really run anymore uh part of that is just due to all the hip replacements and um there's a lot of limitation on let's say certain exercises that i can do and, and things like at a gym that i can do and okay. um, i have to be very careful and just very aware of that and obviously if um if I take a fall or anything like that, I mean, there's always potential that I've broken something um, just by falling. So I have to be very careful. Yes. Um, be very mindful of, of what I'm doing. And 
obviously if I slip and fall, I have to be very mindful of paying attention to if it's at this point, oftentimes I know that whether or not something's broken, but you know, there are definitely things that I do and don't do such as I don't lift, can't lift like super heavy stuff. And, um, I'm obviously, like I said, I can't run anymore. And so, yeah, there's some limitations for sure. And some of that is surgical from surgical, you know, surgeries that I've had, just limitations, Mm -hmm. you know, post surgery that, um, that occur. And when you have so many surgeries on some of the same type of joint, like the arms and the hips and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, there are definitely things that, you know, I can and can't do. And I have to, I can't sit for too long, can't stand for too long, you know? So it's always just a balancing okay. act of, of, you know, stretching and sitting and standing. And yeah, I'm not very active anymore. Um, just because of how my health is and how achy my body is and my bones are. Um, and I'm definitely not, you know, going, I do my best to stay as mobile as possible, do exercises, but yeah, there are definitely limitations there. But at this point, it's just every day natural to me to, to not, you know, to not necessarily think about it. It's just part of, part of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I assume the, the treatment still helps in that respect. Yes, it does. It's definitely helped um, some of my mobility and some of that, you know, non like surgical stuff that I've had has definitely helped. Okay. Um, well, I think that's probably all we've got time uh, for, for today. Uh, but uh, I, I always like to finish on this question. Um, so would you be able to tell me what's your, happy place so like a place where you feel at peace yeah i think that honestly just kind of at home with my family really i mean just being with them and and being able to to be there and be present is sort of where i feel kind of at home and again it doesn't have to be like at home just being with my family and being there i think you know living with this disease and everything that i've been through is given me a new appreciation on just being able to be with my family and my kids and my wife. That's, um, that's beautiful. Um, and a very good place to, <laughs> to be. Yeah. I can totally relate to that. Well, thank you so much, Aaron. It's been amazing talking to you. I really appreciate what you do to raise awareness. So thanks a lot on, on behalf of everyone who benefits from, from it. Uh, yeah good best of luck for the future yeah thank you so much thank you for having me thank you